<clears throat> well, good morning. Oh, you got to be a livelier bunch than that. Good morning. There we go. You braved the rain. You did good. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Thanks again for coming to be a part of us this morning. Also, thank you for joining us online. Uh, it's good to see every one of you here today and good to see those that I can't see online. So I pray that somehow, shape, form, or fashion that God would use this for his glory and to encourage us in this beautiful book of Hebrews, which we are about to dive into in just a moment. I wanted to share with you that many years ago when I was at school, I had this professor whom I loved dearly, and he, he made an impact in my life. And every day before class, and I had him for several things, and uh, every day before class, he'd read this devotional. It was a John Newton devotional. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as he would read this, he couldn't ever get through it without breaking up and, 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 and crying as he would read about the greatness of God. And I don't know if you know much about John Newton, uh, but you know he was the one that penned uh, the, the song Amazing Grace. Now, John Newton was a slave trader that was converted by the grace of God. And he is, was a very powerful man that God used and transformed to pen such a powerful song that we sing almost 300 years later. And he would read these devotionals and, and the words that he would say, and he'd move because his, his, his very emotion was not he was having an emotional experience, but he got emotional talking about the grace and goodness of God. That he always said, my, my goal is to just draw closer to him. And, and that is my, my goal, too, that I finish the race well, that I continually draw, draw closer to Jesus Christ in my relationship. And I pray that is yours, too. You know, I, I get a little excited talking about the Lord myself because the more <clears throat> that I, the, the older that I get, I draw closer to him. For in all things, he sustains and he keeps us. And there's nothing greater than knowing, and listen, that if today beat my, be my last day on this earth, that the price for me has been paid for on the cross, and I'm bought, I'm purchased, and I have a peace beyond all understanding. And I pray that each one of you have that peace. And as you read and recollect and draw closer to Jesus Christ, always remember that right now you're just a pilgrim on a temporary journey, that this world is not our home. And that's worth rejoicing and being encouraged by. Amen? Amen. Please stand with me as we read the Word of God. <coughs> <coughs> For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him and again, behold I, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your God-breathed word. Lord, may it open up our hearts that we would be receptive to your message, that you would be glorified. And the sense of urgency that we have when we leave this building would be leaning upon all of us 
to share the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. May you be glorified in all things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I was reading this text, I have to believe that the Hebrew recipients of this letter, as Leonard Ravenhill would say, would almost fall out. For one part of this letter, this, this, this epistle that is written, if you will, in this verse stuck at my attention, and I hope it does yours because I knew it does theirs. He says, for this reason. When you hear the word for, he wants you to stop and look at the preceding text. What is happening here is he is reaffirming to the Jewish readers that Christ had to die. Now this would be a very interesting concept to them considering that here are these new group of Jewish believers have to be influenced by outside Judaizers, if you will, that are saying, how can Jesus be the Messiah? He died. Messiahs don't die. And, and, and it's amazing to me, as I was reading this, I thought of a song that was released after uh, Rich Mullins died called My Deliverer. And he wrote these words, Jesus, or Joseph took his wife and a child, and they went to Africa to escape the wrath of a deadly king. Jesus grew up along the banks of the Nile, listening to the songs that the Hebrew children used to sing. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. And I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know, that is so cool. Because, you know, what is that referring to, Chad? See, when Jesus was born... There was a man named Herod who had decided to kill all the little boys. So they fled to Egypt. And they were led out of Egypt, remember, by Moses. But Jesus grew up in Egypt. And I don't know what he heard or what he saw, but what amazed me is the Hebrews have always looked for a deliverer. If you could put the verses back up for a second, if we're able to, the first, or verse 10. He said, for it was fitting for him... For it was fitting for him to be crucified. It was fitting for him to suffer death on a cross. Now again, when you hear the word fitting, that's got to take you back. Because there's always those who have cried for generations and generations, my deliverer is coming. But you must understand that the message of the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. And it was foolish to the Gentiles, as Corinthians would tell us. Because how could a Savior Messiah... Be killed. The hero don't die. How can he be your savior? He died. And what the author is doing here is telling the readers that tells us that Jesus' death on the cross did not disqualify him from being the, sa the savior Messiah. It propelled his glory for what he did. Because I want you to look at what the text says. You've got to understand that even the Jews at this time mocked Jesus when he was on this earth. Remember in Matthew 27, in the same way as Jesus was hanging on the cross, said the same way the chief priest also along with the scribes and elders were mocking him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down on the cross and we'll believe in him. You hear? He has trusted in God. Let God rescue him now. If he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the rebels who had been crucified with him were also insulting him in the same way. His own people 
But you've got to go back even before the crucifixion, the same Jesus that rode through Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. As they lay the coats down and wave palm branches, the same people that turned on Christ. Because understand the reason it's a stumbling block is because what was happening is the Jews were looking for relief in their immediate situation, not their eternal situation. They wanted somebody to take care of the problem in Rome. They wanted an earthly king from the line of David. Rid us of these people, these evil Romans. Rid us of them. But yet what Christ came for was to die. In the eternity that he was setting was not, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the death that he came was to die a death that would save their eternal soul, not fix their immediate situation. Is that not like all of us? Do we not always, or at many times, not always, but at many times, want instant gratification? Are we not wired that way in our sinfulness? That we always look for a simple situation to be immediately resolved because it's not working the way it wants it, or it's not working the way we want it to do? Are they not like us? In many ways, we want our money and we want it now. We want our deliverance. We want it now. See, they were oppressed. They were troubled. But yet their troubles and their physical, physical uh, depression, their physical bondage could not compare to their eternal bondage because they were in sin. And Jesus came not to rescue them from Rome, but to rescue their souls. For it was fitting for him to do this. It was fitting. And I, I want you to think about this as we talk about it for a few moments. So you may ask yourself, why is it fitting... For Jesus to die on the cross. Why was it fitting for God to do this? And I want you to write these three things down before we move on to the next text. Why is it fitting? Number one, God is consistent and true to His character. He is consistent and true to His character. What does that mean? God is just, He's righteous, and He's holy. Which means that the blood has to be shed... For the redemption of man. 1 Samuel 2.2 2 says, There is none as holy as the Lord, for there is none beside Him or thee. There is neither is there any rock like our God. Deuteronomy 32.4 He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all His ways are just. 1 John 1.19 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 33.4 and 5 for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. So if God is perfect in his character, he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot allow it. The price has to be paid. Their Savior wasn't an immediate situation. Their Savior was an eternal, and it's immediate in their souls, but their soul was an eternal situation, not brought on by the world, but brought on by their sinfulness. In God, in His character, He's true, He's consistent. He cannot allow those that are separated from God, from Him, to go on with no justice. I've used this illustration before. And what's amazing to me, that I, if you think about the gravity of it, if a judge, you went before a judge and you had committed all kind of atrocities, and you went before the judge and said, oops, I've messed up. And the judge said, yeah, it's all right, go ahead and go. We would be appalled. 
We would be just dumbstruck. Can you believe this man let this evil person go? Before the eyes of God, who is holy, just, and righteous, that's what we are. And if this man would be a bad judge for letting atrocities go, how great a judge is God, who we are all sinners, to say, ah, just let it go. He can't. He must. It is justice. The only way the price could be paid is by the blood of Christ. These verses speak so highly to the humanity of Christ. You don't serve some God as distant. Where His deity came down, His humanity went back up when He left this world. I want you to understand this. To be able to pay for sin, He had to be the pure sacrifice. The Bible tells us very clearly in the Old Testament when the When they would go before the priest, they would sacrifice an animal. The priest would lay his hands upon the animal, therefore transferring guilt. They covered the sins. They could not take the sins away. Why? Because they were imperfect people. That's what the writer is saying. The priests were imperfect. They would have to go confess their sins once a year called the Day of Atonement because they were imperfect people. There is no human being that is perfect. You do not, will not, nor cannot attain it. But Christ came as humanity as the sacrifice. He came the sacrificial lamb. He lived a perfect life, fully God, fully man. He could only bear the wrath of God and be the appeasement for the wrath and justice of God by being 100% holy. But He could raise the dead. He could be raised from the dead. Because he is 100% God. Jesus died being fully man, but being fully God, he came from the dead. Let me tell you something. Listen to Romans 3.25. For God presented him as the atoning sacrifice through faith in his blood in order to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he passed over the sins committed beforehand. Listen. Hebrews 9.22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins on the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Isaiah 53, quoting, listen to me. The wrath of God must be satisfied. It was fitting for Jesus to do this because God being just and true to His nature, He cannot let sin go unpunished. For it was fitting that Jesus pay the price on the cross. Number two, that Jesus became the perfect high priest. Now I know this strikes nerves at some people, but I'm going to tell you something, a little secret. I don't have to go to some priest to confess my sin. I can go to Jesus Christ. I don't go to an imperfect man to forgive me. I go to the perfect man God who will cleanse me, forgive me, and sustain me. Amen? Jesus became the perfect high priest. He didn't cover the sins. He took it away. Acts 3.15 says, You killed the originator of life whom God raised from the dead. To this fact, we are witnesses. 
You killed the originator of life. It's amazing when I think about this, and Peter preached at Pentecost, he would say, the Jesus whom you crucified. And when they had heard these words, they were struck to the core. And what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized. Such a beautiful text. Because when they heard the word, they knew it wasn't by their own actions that they were saved. It was by the actions of Jesus Christ on the cross. And let me tell you this. There's no other name under heaven which may you be saved. Only by Jesus Christ and Christ alone in His death on the cross. Acts 5.31 says, God exalted Him to the right hand as the leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. But He's a stumbling block. <clears throat> because there's those that said, a man can't die. He must die. Jesus Christ came to die. John says, Behold the Lamb who takes on the sins of the world. Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. The great high priest. Not he laid to cover the sin. He became the sacrifice for sin. He wasn't a blotted animal or a blotted human. He was the perfect Son of God. Nobody else can take away the sin. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5, 5 through 10, I'm going to use the first verse, So also Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest, but it was He who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have begotten you. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. You hear that? It's not the elaborate building. It's not the holy of holies. It's not the temple courts. It's not the rooms you go to. This building is no more holier than the people that make it up. You hear me? There is no church greater than anything. It may be an elaborate building. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. I was able to get out for a ride and we had the windows down. We're riding and chilling in the, in the almost coming rain. It was a little cool. The windows were down. And there is a beautiful church in Gramlin, South Carolina. It's Methodist Church. Man, the, the, the art... It's beautiful. It's immaculate. Beautiful building. Well, let me tell you about buildings. You see, when I become a pastor of a church up north for a while, everybody said how beautiful our building was. This $2 million building that had a school, a gymnasium, a seating capacity, and had 18 people. Because sin had entered and things have happened. Listen to me. There's no building nor no person going to get you into heaven. Only the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not about the elaborate buildings. It's about the church, ecclesia. Not only is it the local congregation that meets together in ecclesia, but ecclesia is also the Greek word that means the universal body of Christ from every tongue, tribe, and nation who have placed their faith in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. And it's not the building that saved us. It's Christ that saved us. And we can build a monument, tabernacles to God. But I can tell you this, what Christ wants is obedience and sacrifice. Amen? That's the big difference. He became the great high priest. He became the priest that didn't have to make atonement for his own sin because he is just, righteous, and pure. He is God. He is Christ. Fully God, fully man. He sinned not. 
If there would have been just a little bit of sin, Christ could not have taken away yours. But He became the perfect sacrificial lamb. And He did it willingly. For it was proper that He do this. It was proper because He came, became the great high priest. And number three, listen to this, this is so beautiful. Number three, it was a part of God's eternal plan to redeem the lost. <laughs> Amen. It was part of God's eternal plan to redeem the lost. Let me assure you something. Listen. At the fall of man, when Adam had failed and Eve had failed, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. As God said, you deliverer is coming. That deliverer's name is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, from Genesis on, it all tells of the coming work of Jesus Christ as a part of God's eternal plan. You cannot thwart that. Acts 2.23 said, This man who was handed over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you executed him by nailing him at the cross and at the hands of the Gentiles. The cross was no stranger to Jesus Christ. And so many times in our theology in the church today, we beat up on poor old Jesus. They just beat him up. And they messed with him. And oh, poor old Jesus. Let me tell you something. Again, you've heard me quote this many times. I cannot help but say it. The words of Leonard Ravenhill. Christ came back right now. He wouldn't cleanse the temple. He had cleansed the pulpit. We have belittled the name of Christ. He's not some poor old Jesus that was beat up. He willfully took on the cross. And it was no strange plan to him. The Bible tells us in John 19 as he's before Pilate. And there they have the choice between Barabbas and Jesus. Listen to me. He says, who do you want? Give us Barabbas. If anybody should be thankful that day, it was Barabbas. A criminal of the worst sort. Give us Barabbas. So Jesus goes back there with Pilate and Pilate tells him, Do you not know that I have the power to let you go? Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power that hadn't done been given to you from above. Jesus was in control the whole time. 100%. The cross was no stranger to Christ. And yet he embraced it. That those may be redeemed. Look what the text goes on to say. Back up one more time. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, listen, he's encouraging them again. It was fitting that he do this. Why? For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now listen to this. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from the Father. Now I want you to think about this. Sanctified means set apart. Okay? We, we, we say conforming to the image of Christ. We're different. Christ could not have sanctified us without His death on the cross. We could not be saved. 
when he died on that cross and had victory over sin, death, and hell, he was totally righteous and did nothing. And he paid the price for sin. But we're unrighteous. You get it? Now this is the argument he's making with them. We're unrighteous people. Our righteousness is but what? Filthy rags. We're unrighteous. There is none in us. It don't mean you don't do good things. But you at the core of your being is unrighteous. We can do nothing in our own lives to become righteous. For it is by grace we are saved, not of good works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Now, I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Listen, 2, 8 through 10. Look, because we were created in Christ, which means if we're created in Christ, we're going to do good works, right? It don't, it's not that we do good works to get acquainted with Christ. To be saved. To be changed by what we do. We do what we do because Christ has transformed us. Do you see the difference? For he who sanctifies in he who has sanctified. Spurgeon says this, what is meant by the expression of being sanctified? The essential part of sanctification means being set apart for holy uses. That which was meant to be used for God alone was sanctified, set apart, and regarded as holy. The vessels of the sanctuary were sanctified when they were used only by the priest in the service of God. Of course, there arose out of this fact, which is the essence of sanctification, the further quality of purity. For that which is dedicated to God must be pure. That which is reserved for His service must not be defiled. It must be clean. We cannot imagine the holy God using unholy vessels in his sanctuary, so the sanctification comes to mean purification. The making of that to be holy, which was first of all set apart for holy uses. Holiness of character, listen, follows upon the holiness of design. First we are set apart for God's use when we're saved. Okay. We're set apart for God's use. And then afterwards, we are made pure that we may be fit for God's use. That's beautiful. No man is truly sanctified unless he is sanctified in Christ. Okay? Let me stop there. You're not sanctified or cleansed until God has imputed it for Christ to you. He's your substitute, right? Because you're not holy. But your faith and trust in Him, and because you are become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're justified. What that means is you're being cleansed And now you're not guilty. And see, when we go and stand before the Father, and we stand in here, and and, and Christ looks at us, or God looks at us and says, what do you have to say? There's nothing that I can say, but I sure can point to Jesus. Because he that knew no sin became sin, that we may be cleansed. And we have been made holy and set apart, not by our works, but by the work and person of Christ. Amen? And in Christ alone. Are we ashamed? I want you to think about this for a few moments. Are we ashamed? He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Let me tell you what that means. 
because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ standing before God, we're all brothers and sisters and Christ calls us his brethren. Is that not powerful? That ought to get you excited. Because he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. If you go back and look at the text, you will find that when Jesus was with his disciples, they told him, your mother and your sisters and brother are looking for you. And he points to his disciples, and this says, this is my mother and brethren. You see, it's not because, listen, it's not because of your name, it's not because of your daddy, it's not because you're descendants of Abraham, it's not because you grew up in church, it's only because of the name of Jesus that you're saved. Not everybody who calls himself a believer is a Christian. But those who have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, he is not ashamed of you. I've got to ask you a question. Are we ashamed of Christ or are we ashamed before Christ? Are we ashamed of Christ or are we ashamed before Christ? Let me tell you something. The evidence of a believer realizes he's come to the point in his life where he knows he has no standing before God. He understands as the Matthew 5 would say very clearly, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's not those that are sad with life, but those who mourn over their condition. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, not because you're not having a fruitful day, because you know that your spirit is broken and you need a Savior. Those are those that are blessed. For those are the ones that's been satisfied. Are we ashamed? You know, I ask that question to many people. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Do you proclaim Him in front of other people or do you keep your mouth shut? Are you embarrassed of what people may say? I had a friend of mine who was actually told that you've got to quit speaking Jesus' name in front of all these people or they're going to fire you. He said, then fire me. Are you ashamed? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm ashamed I hadn't done more for him. The longer I grow and the older I get, and I draw closer to the days of G, or to my days of uh, uh, reunion with Jesus because of his death on the cross, I come to this understanding. I look back at the past things in my life and come to the realization that I could have done more. I could have done more. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Let me tell you something. Let me make it to you very clear. We are sanctified and set apart by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faith and trust in Him. But when we are saved and born again believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us and we are conforming to the image of Jesus Christ daily. Amen? You either run into the cross or you're running from it. And I make this statement all the time, and I want you to please hear. As long as I'm here, I always give you the message of the gospel. For I'm going to tell you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I pray that you not either. Because I want you to understand that in this, please listen to me very, very careful. You are either conforming to the image of Christ, or you're running from Him. You either run into the cross, or you're running from it. If you've been born again, your want-tos will change. I tell people this continuously. Y'all hear it many times. How do you know you're saved? Your want-tos change. It's not a scheme or a formula. 
It's by placing the faith and trust in Jesus Christ and knowing I want to live with Him. Where I repented for my sin, I fell in love with Christ and lost my love for the world. That's the gospel. Do you want to change? And see, as we grow and we serve Christ, I'm not going to tell you, as I always say in every sermon, that everything's going to be peaches and cream. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know this earth may send me temporary trials and tribulations, but God's got this. Are you ashamed? Let me encourage you something here now, brothers and sisters. I've had many people tell me, Chad, you don't know what I've done. I've let God down. Yep. So have I. But as I said a little bit earlier, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Only He can do that. He came to the desk with quivering lip. The lesson was done. Do you have a new work for me, teacher? For I spoiled this one. I took his work all spoiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted and said, Do better, my child. I went to the throne. The day was done. I went to my master and said, Do you have a new one? For I have spoiled this one. He took my day all sold and blotted and he gave to me a new one all unspotted. And he said, Do better, my son. You see, when you go before the throne, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, God will forgive you. And He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Does He know you? Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that there's nothing greater than a relationship with Christ. For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one Father. And for this reason, He is not ashamed to call us brethren. Now look at the next verse saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, and the children of God has given me. He is quoting Psalms 22, a psalm of David. Jesus Christ came to proclaim the news. The Bible tells me very clearly, listen, that in John 17, I have declared to them your name and will declare it. Right before he dies. He preached the name of God. He shared the good news. He shared the reconciliation that could not be made by man's effort, but made only by Christ on the cross. And he proclaimed it. Jesus understood that his obedient work on the cross would bring great glory to his God and Father, declaring the greatness of his name. Do you see that? Why was it fitting for Christ to die? Why was it fitting for him to go down into the grave? Why must we embrace that? Why must we embrace the name of Christ? His crucifixion on the cross? His going to the grave? As Parrish Reedhead said, because it's the only way that God can get glory out of a human being. I want you to understand that he's writing to the Hebrew believers that are struggling your Messiah had to die. It's not about your temporary situation, but it's about the eternity of your soul. And it did not disqualify Christ dying on the cross. It exalted Him that His name is above all names, that at the sound of His voice every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. 
I can tell you today, and I want you to listen to me real clearly, that he came to the first advent as a baby, as a lamb, a sacrifice. He is coming back as a lion. God is in control of this world. It was made for him and by him, and it's coming back to him. And I'm going to tell you this. Listen to me real clearly. You leave this building as born-again believers in Christ and have encouragement because I'm going to tell you, the government's not going to save you. Your 401K is not going to save you. Your car may die. Your horse may fall over. Your dog will die. Your house may be flooded. It may fall down with fire. It might be eat up with termites. But you lay your treasure in heaven where neither rust or moth can destroy. But that treasure is Jesus Christ who died for your sin and He's worthy to be praised and His name's above every name. You praise Him. You seek His face. You seek His glory. I can imagine being back and being persecuted and saying, I don't understand. Why must I die? We were talking this morning in Sunday school. If you will follow any of the history of the martyrs, they died bad. Bad. They died for their faith. And as we were talking this morning, I told everybody, you need to read Beyond the Gates of Splendor. We don't understand today the work of our missionaries. That they don't go for their glory. They go for God's glory. Even if it costs them their life. Because He's worthy. And I think about this. And not every one of us are called to be ministers or preachers or teachers, but we all call to areas where we live, work, and play. Period. Because they must be understanding that we don't understand the whole plan of God, but what we do know is He's given His Son, Jesus Christ, whose name is above every name, and His name must be proclaimed to all nations and tribes. And as I'm reading and studying the life of Jim Elliot and the Five men that died that day at the hands of Alka Indians. At such a young age, they died. And we cannot figure out the gravity of it all. John Hus, who was burned at the stake. And you see people who took a stand and they would die boldly. Why? Because they knew this world was not their home. And us that are left behind with the logic and trying to figure it out, we have to understand this that the needs of the many greater outweigh the needs of the few. You see what I'm saying? So Chad, what does that mean? We may not know this side of heaven, the whole aspect or the reason, or I can say the reason, we don't know how those men died by the river or any other martyr, but we know the lives that have been touched by the testimony they give of Jesus Christ. That is worth it all. For Christ said His name will not return void. And he who came to this earth and he died for the sins of man, he's coming back again. And the Bible says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And they are those who are ashamed of Jesus that will be numbered with the goats. You think about goats and sheep, they have some similar traits. They love to follow the crowd. They look the same, eat the same stuff. They have a lot of similarities. But what makes sheep different than goats is the sheep follow Jesus. The goats act like they do. Like I said a little earlier, listen to me. 
This church is no more holier than the people that make it up. Coming to church don't make you no more of a Christian than me flying a plane or riding a plane makes me a pilot. I come worship with you because I want to celebrate Jesus Christ with you that he may receive all the glory. I do not check the box to come here on Saturday, Sunday morning to say, I attended. It's not about checking the I do's. It's by our corporate worship with one another, glorifying God and praising his name. But my worship don't stop when I leave here. I serve, and I serve our Savior Jesus every single day. The life of the believer is those who seek to embrace the cross, not run from it. Are we followers or, or are we fascinators? You see, what he is telling them right quick is this. There was no other way that you could be redeemed. And you may think that people say that belittles Christ's name because he died on the cross. It exalted Christ's name. What about delivering him from Roman rule? It is about delivering your soul. And he's none to be ashamed of. And let me tell you something. For those of us who placed our faith and trust in Jesus and not are ashamed of the cross, the Bible says he calls us brethren. We're family with him. There's, there's not another power. You know, does that not baffle you or blow you away? It does me. Because I'm probably the black sheep sometimes in my family. We all have a black sheep. You all know that guy. Well, let me tell you something. Because of Jesus Christ, I'm no longer black with sin. I'm white, which means I blade into the same color as the rest of the righteous sheep, and I'm his brethren. That ought to get you excited. Are you ashamed? Brothers and sisters, I come to you this morning to encourage you. You know, I... Tiffany and I, uh, sometimes we lay in the bed and we talk. Yeah, and I know sometimes i got to work the next morning. But the conversations that we have. You say, we have this little thing in our room called Alexa. Be careful. <laughs> But sometimes we'll listen to 80s music. <gasps> and we'll reminisce about how things were when we were in high school. Now some of you were in high school in the 80s, some were in the 70s, some of you not even remotely close to being where any of us are. We're all older and younger than others. And I think each of us of a certain age can identify with the things we knew as our age. Now here's my point. We hear some songs, and it's amazing how some songs take us back to times we remember very clearly. You know what I'm talking about. You'll hear that song, what was I doing? Man, that is Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> now bear with me, I'm making a point with this. Because I don't want anybody to say, he's in the pulpit. You know, look, I, isn't it amazing though that the songs and situations point us back to things in history that were, have left their mark on us? Now I say that to say this, we were reminiscing about something that was 33 years ago. Well, actually, about 38 years ago, 34 or 5 years, I don't know, 30-something years ago. 
Yeah, 30, 80, 34 years ago. I thought time would never end. And as I was laying in bed, we was talking about, wow. It seems like yesterday that I was sitting at a desk in English class at Greer High School and I hated it. And I said, one day I'm not going to have to deal with this garbage. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I have breathed and blinked and it's gone. Now, if that 35 plus years went by this fast, what's the next 35 look like? I said all that to say this, times have changed. But praise God, January 16th of 2000, Christ changed me. I look back in that and I say, you know what? This is where I was. This is where I am now. And even though things happened throughout time that made an impression and have changed throughout our life, Jesus Christ has never changed. And the same Christ that saved me many years ago is still the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And if He can get me through everything, if He can walk with me through every trial or tribulation, but even more than that, He saved and secured my soul, who cares what the next few years bring? I'm not saying that flippantly. Because there's a chance I could get sick, and yes, I'll mourn when we get sick. When people, yes, I'll mourn. Don't get me wrong. But we live as a people who have hope, people. We have hope that this world is not our home. And no matter what curveball is thrown at me by life, Christ is enough. He's enough. So I may get aggravated, I may get upset, may have my feelings hurt, may lose something, may not have the greatest health in the world. But I always got to keep remembering, this world is not my home. I'm just here for a little while. And brothers and sisters, like the writer of Hebrews encouraged them, that it was fitting for Christ to die. It was fitting for Him to be glorified at this death. Let me encourage you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And I promise you that everything that you have in your life will never bring you satisfaction. Oh, it was great to be young once. But my hair's turning loose, or doesn't turn loose. Things change. I have changed, and I will die. That's a fact. But even though this world that I live in may take away my body. Christ has secured and saved my soul. And that is worth it all. Do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, you can. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And salvation is not just feeling sorry for your sin, it's repenting of it, which means to turn. And when you turn, to your, turn from your sin and you embrace Christ, and you believe in the person and the work of Christ, let me tell you something. Believe in, not believe that, believe in, which means committing to Christ. Let me tell you something. That's a salvation greater than all things that nobody can take away. Amen? Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the price paid on the cross. We thank you for all that you've done and will continue to do. Lord, you are the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb who went to Calvary and paid a debt you did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And God, I thank you. We live in a world where we heard this morning sickness just abounds about us. These viruses here and there. The economy is shaking. Leaders have gone crazy. People are just, 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 just weird. But it's not like we serve a God that's not in control. And yet this world is changing moment by moment. And so have I. We serve an unchanging God, an unchanging Christ who regardless of whatever I lose here on this earth, I have gained in eternity because of Jesus. And there's not things or me working toward things or trying to do good things that's going to make me righteous. It's only by the perfect Lamb of God, your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid that price on Calvary, that I place my faith and trust in Him and commit to Him and hold unswervingly to that faith I possess, that you are faithful in your promises that no matter what this world throws at us, Christ is enough. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise your name. And all God's people said, please stand and worship with us.